Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Gabe Lulo. He's the CEO of Alleyup. Alleyup is a, a prospecting agency. They help technology companies get in front of the right type of buyers. But we're going to be exploring today a number of interesting questions. So, for example, what impact does hiring have on your result? Are we looking at the right end of the problem? Because we tend to be very focused on revenue and we're not necessarily focused on relationships. We're not necessarily focused on strategy. The net result of that is that we end up missing quota. We've got fat middle of the pipeline. Well, we should be looking for causes. So we're going to be looking at data and the preponderance, the overwhelm of data. More is not better. Better is better. More is just more. And this then leads to a ripple effect, which in terms of technology means this technology hangover where salespeople are spending an hour, two hours, two and a half hours lost in your tech stack just trying to get the job done. And simple stuff like, are we really trying to build an SDR function for the right reasons? What's the role of the manager? What's the real role of the manager? Because it isn't to be a supervisor. It's not command and control. and what am I doing to add to one of my biggest problems, unwanted turnover? So we're going to explore all of this. So without any further ado, Gabe, welcome. Marcus, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and, and I love your show and I can't wait to get into this. Thank you. Well, would you mind giving us a couple of minutes on your history and sure. uh, tell us how you got to this point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started in college and my first job was an internship in New York as an SDR. They didn't call it that. It was I was a cold caller for a financial advisor in New York. Uh-huh. And I'm old enough to, you know, be calling on on phones that actually had wires attached to them. <laughs> and so I would they call through. Rotary. Yeah, exactly. Call through. I was <laughs> pretending to actually I didn't even use my name. I was using the other guy's name. I was booked and I would say his name. And as soon as I got someone, I passed him the phone and he kept talking like it wasn't even me that started the conversation. <laughs> so I, I started, you know, dial, smiling and dialing at a very young age. And then uh, I got into sales and start, started the business actually recruiting. So I was an executive recruiter firm. And then it turned into a training company. So I was really good at recruiting salespeople. So then I started to train salespeople. And uh, I was on the road all the time. Family happened. I, I had a baby, and uh, with my my wife at the time, and we wanted to. Uh, I wanted to stay home, and and so I, I hooked up with a guy who I, I heard about who was starting this business, and it was all about the SDR function. And it was right when tech companies were creating the role, because the role is really only 10, 12 years old, right? And so it started off in the tech space, SaaS space, and he said, "We're going to start an inside sales SDR team." And I'd love you to be a part of the company. And so that's when Alleyoop was born. And we've been doing this for about 15 years. And now I've recently taken over as CEO. And, and so really, it's an SDR to CEO uh, life cycle for me. And it's been a, a incredible ride over the last two decades. It actually mirrors mine very closely as well. Because cool. I started out in recruitment, uh, worked my way through advertising and selection, and then moved into contract and uh, search. Uh, yeah. was the recruiter in Europe to specialize in the single currency and was you know, building teams of 40 for Capgemini and KPMG and that kind of thing. Um, right. And then I saw the writing on the wall just before the crash happened, got out and ended up in consulting. Then 9-11 happened. Yeah. So I ended up in software 
working for one of the companies that I placed the VP of channel and the VP of marketing in. I had my best month ever in recruitment, 96 grand in fees. It was really good. Um, yeah. It was very nice. Bought an MG off the back of that. Um, nice. And <laughs> yeah, another story. Um, and then... Um, so, okay, so, so you don't need my backstory. Uh, I was going down a tangent that no one really cares about. Um, okay, tell me this then. What was your best mistake um, setting this firm up? Well, I think the biggest thing that we were struggling with is what other companies are currently struggling with right now in the recruiting process. You know, we were just hiring people off the streets practically, people who've never done sales before we thought you know oh customer service background or hospitality background so we just hired started hiring people just to fill the role because we were still new at this and we realized that it's a lot more making phone calls and you know asking for 30 minutes of their time it's much more in depth than that and we decided to really treat the sdr role as an ae role but just with a different come and once we started hiring best in class people for that and then providing them training, that's really where it started to take off. And our clients' relationships were multi-year contracts because they didn't want those people to leave their team. Well, it, it's really interesting, actually. I, I have a, a recruitment model that I'm working on at the moment, which is very similar. So maybe we'll chat about that offline. Tell me this then. As you look ahead, what, what do you see coming down the pipe for sales as a profession? Because I think we need to start preparing for what's to come. Anyone looking at the news, both economic and geopolitical, must get a sense that things aren't quite right. Uh, you know, they're a little bit rotten in Denmark. Possibly not in Denmark, is one of the only places that it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think right now, you know, 2009 to 2000, you know, tw 2009 to you know, 2020, we're very bullish in SaaS and tech. And now, obviously, turbulence is occurring in the SaaS and tech market. During that time, we're realizing that we were just hiring all of these salespeople, unquote, because there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and there was a lot of you know dollars uh, being put into marketing, a lot of inbound that was happening. And I think we just got really soft on letting these people become salespeople. Now we're dealing with it now, seeing that quotas are not getting hit, and you know, and and layoffs are being happening, and it's. It's unfortunate, but it's also telling that we were just hiring people and not providing them the right training they needed to get better. They never got better, you know, and well, they were filling a spot and more more like order taking. I know I'm not disrespecting anyone, but that we have to realize that the this is a production based job and the production is no longer happening. And I think it's a lot to do with the skill set of the people who we've hired over the last handful of years. I think skill set is one part of it, but also perspective and values and outlook. One of the most obvious questions um, that we need to ask is what are we doing as managers, as leaders, to yep. create conditions where we suffer from high turnover, where yep. we have very low success rates? And I, I look at the ripple effects one thing that my brain seems to be very good at is connecting the dots. So, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And also reverse engineering it the other way. So for that to be possible, what needs to be in place beforehand? And it's a curse because what you start to see is the interconnectedness of the complexity of these problems. Mm -hmm. And then you start to wonder, well, why are these problems occurring? And when you look upstream at the cause, 
it's normally a series of three or four bad decisions in a row being compounded through the organization. So you have the investors saying, let's scale. So they throw a lot of money at advertising with very mm -hmm. low conversion rates. So 3% click through, 15% conversion means that they fail to generate income 99.9955% of the time. And what's left, the laughably called marketing qualified leads. They get thrown over the wall to sales. Sales then has to follow up on average six to 11 times for inbounds where there isn't a, an automatic booking. Now, in doing that, that could be 6,000 to 11,000 follow-up touches that are required from your sales team. Now, yeah, if it's five or 10 people at 15 manual dials an hour, that's a lot of their working month sucked into following up with people where they have a 3% probability of closing. So 97% of the time that they will now invest in the 99.9955% that's already been wasted is now being compounded. And then you throw those over the wall to CS and they've got a bunch of people who aren't quite a right fit. So they raise tickets that should never have been raised right. and they become a churn risk. And a 15% churn rate means 49% of your customers have to be replaced every three years. And you heard the palaver that goes into getting them. Right. It's insane. Don't yeah. do any of that stuff. Now you have an inordinate amount of time free to do good stuff. Exactly. <laughs> I know. And it's funny. I just saw a note on LinkedIn, an article that that, that actually has doubled those activity numbers. That what the same activity numbers you just mentioned was two, three years ago has now just doubled. So mm -hmm. just all, all of those activity numbers are, again, 2x on what it used to be. It's intense. I mean, I heard a, another thing that you don't want to know what's harder than outbound right now is inbound. And so it's, it's <laughs> challenging. I know people look at outbound as so difficult, but right now it's inbound that's more challenging than ever. With the advent of AI, all that's happened yeah. is it's scaled all the bad behaviors of the past. And so they're old warriors fighting the last war, not exactly. this one. And they've deafened their audience. Yep. I mean, our approach right now is back to basics and, you know, we've been back to basics and never left, but we're back to basics for our clients and telling them, Hey, listen, you know, when they bring us in and say, okay, take a look at what we're doing and tell us what we're doing wrong. And I said, you're doing way too much stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you're asking a 22 year old to do 17 different tasks and, and not the same task. I'm talking 17 different things. And it's, it's impossible to expect results from them. And then the manager just sits there and looks at reports all day long and no one's teaching or training them anything. The yeah. tech arms race seems to have contributed to this dramatically. And it also right. feeds the recruitment problem. Because right. if you look at the typical recruitment cycle, they'll hire 10 in the hope that two or three work out and one yeah. might survive two years. But the data from uh, Dr. Phil McGowan's thesis indicates that salespeople hit their full stride in year 2.6. You're not getting the full uh, bang for your buck anyway. So we yep. need to start rethinking the recruitment model as well and how we compensate recruiters. So I think what we should be doing is paying recruiters not for the placement, but for how long the candidate stays. So yep. this is where recruiters and coaches should be teaming up. Because right. if you got paid a stipend, uh, you know, a retainer every month, that meets the actual job to be done because no one wants to make a hire. They want to hire someone who's successful in the job, 
improves over time, fits in with our culture and values, and stays for a very long time. So we get the full value from them. That's why we really want to hire, because they can get, that's the job to be done. 100%. And that's why we started our training team is because of that reason. We were placing people and we kept placing, had to keep placing and keep placing and keep placing. And we're like, this are, these are good people, but it, they just fall out of, of the cycle. And so we started this training mechanism where we're now teaching people and created a whole new company out of it. We're now teaching people the role. So they're able to be more hireable and obviously stay longer. Wonderful. Okay. So what is the function of an SDR? Yeah, simply put, their prospect. Account executives, and we're in so many different industries right now. There's over 340,000 job openings for SDR on LinkedIn and Indeed combined. So the role itself is in massive demand, and industries who have never accepted this role are now accepting it. You know, recruiting firms, to your point, you know, insurance companies, you know, we have yoga studios hiring SDRs from us right now. It's all over the place, and the, the role itself is growing, but it's because we've realized, okay, account executives self-sourcing their prospects is a lot of time that in activities that are not really what they're paid to do. They're paid to close. They're paid to build relationships. They're paid to obviously uh, get those contracts signed and be a subject matter expert. And yet when you pull AEs who are sourcing their own contacts, 60 to 70% of their day is prospecting. So the SDR role is to take that on fully as a separate role. and qualify those MQLs, turn them into SQLs and give them on a silver platter to an account executive so they can do what they do best, which is present, close and and, and get that revenue. Okay. We differ slightly here. So let's, let's have a discussion. I get why people outsource and delegate the function of lead generation. But the reason that they have to outsource the function of lead generation is because they're focused on the wrong end of the pipeline. Mm -hmm. If you focus on the short term, absolutely, that's the case. If you focus on the medium term, then you have time in one of the richest parts of the buying journey where you have no competition because let's face it, the bar is already on the ground. As the recession and the uncertainty starts to really bite over the next couple of years, they're going to be digging until they hit bedrock. So the ability to differentiate is actually not going to be hard. But the temptation to stay with what's familiar, which is to chase the short-term pipeline, go and try and close people, push deals over the line in order to try and make the quarterly valuation number, we've got to rethink all of that. And the SDR function, I believe, should be one that is of maturity because it's hard to break through the noise when everyone else is cluttering up inboxes. And how many CROs or CXOs do you know pick up their own phone if they don't know the number or respond to cold email or the crappy chain of terrible LinkedIn sequences? I mean, they just get kicked into touch. Right. The way we set things up at our agency is not to be a Band-Aid or just to start something without an outcome or an end result. You know, our exit strategy is similar to what you're mentioning is use us until you can do it yourself and then let us help you and teach you on how to do it yourself. You know, our SDRs are not just sending out cold emails and, you know, 
reading a script like the telemarketer. We treat them as future AEs. And if you just take that mentality and say, okay, this is not an SDR, it's a future AE. All of our yes, SDRs, yeah, yeah, are hireable. So yes, that's about how we, yeah. I, I think actually the SDR and the AE should be part, they're like a marriage and yes. it should be a partnership of equals. They they are working towards the same job to be done, which is revenue generation and exactly. lifetime customer satisfaction. Okay. Yep. But they have different roles within that job. Exactly. The, the, the problem is that treating it as if it's somehow separate and siloing it does the customer a disservice because they, the handover should be a continuation of the conversation. It shouldn't be chucking it over the wall. Right. Um, so the, the reason I have to interject is that I think people just see it as the future AE, but actually the two together in partnership, really powerful together with customer success and product. Right. Because those four should be feeding back into marketing and marketing should be interviewing customers, especially the ones who've left, the right. ones who are unhappy, the ones who are okay and they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to tell you anything really useful. The ones who are seething, they're going to tell you the stuff and they're not going to hold back. Right. And that's where the SDR is brilliant because if you can suck that data in from CS and feed it into the salesperson and back into product and into marketing, you grow exponentially because you're actually aligning with the customer and meeting them where they are instead of where you wish they were. 100%. I should probably ask you a question at this stage. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So tell me this then. How do you see the SDR function evolving if we go down that partnership route? Yeah, I think it's it's a headcount to headcount, right? Like you mentioned before, it's not just a group of 20 SDRs feeding a round robin group of AEs. It's okay, these two people, John and Sally, are attached to Joe. And Joe's the AE and John and Sally are the SDRs, and they are now in a pod and a unit working together to attack the marketplace in a way in which is communicating all throughout the day and and working in those types of pods, knowing their roles and doing it in a way that is, you know, it's like tag teaming it. I think that's the way you have to treat it. Similar to what you were mentioning is how we do it. You know, all of our AEs are, you know, assigned SDRs versus just a pool of people booking meetings for another pool of people. And it doesn't work that way. Well, again, I think one of the big problems is that we need the practice. Yeah. And this is where the training goes wrong. I, I, I've got this real bugbear with training because most of it is you may as well just burn it or buy lottery tickets. The money spent on it is quickly forgotten because people don't use it under pressure. And a minuscule proportion complete online training. The gold standard is about 3% completion rate for people like Tony Robbins, those sorts of folks, I'm told. So the majority of online training is never completed. When I had my franchise, we had the online. I, I can honestly say in 16 years, no one ever completed a single program. What they wanted was the hands-on. They wanted it contextual. And that stuff was okay. But it's not what people really, they, they, people don't buy training because they want training. They want to see their results improve. So they can put their kids through school and pay off their mortgage. So if you look at the function itself, how that partnership needs to evolve, what do we need to do differently at the, uh, the design stage 
as we go into recruitment. Let's start right at the basics. What's the job to be done of the SDR? In regards to training, you mean? Or in regards to training? No, no, no. Just generally, the, 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 what, what is the function's purpose if it's the partner of the AE? Yeah. The function's purpose is for them to really understand the ICP, know who they're going after. I think the AE's job is to dictate that, uh, depending on what market they're going into and what product they're offering. And I think it's their job to send out messages, have conversations that are meaningful, not just scripted, and really ask right qualifying questions to transfer that knowledge over to the AE so they can go into that meeting with context. Right now, the SDRs are just sending a meeting over sight unseen in most companies, and the AE has no idea what they're meeting, who they're meeting, why they're meeting. And that handoff is so important. So I think if they're partnered up, like we were mentioning, the handoff, the transfer of knowledge that goes to that AE prepares them so much more to go into that meeting to build that relationship with deals. So back to the question of doing less but better on purpose. You know, right. the, the, the key question that goes through my mind here is this. We've got this enormous list of people that the SDR has to dial through because we're playing a numbers game. Mm -hmm. What if we didn't do that? What if we looked at the list and we segmented it and we used our data intelligently. We 2020 the top 20%. And we put those into our medium-term pipeline. And we worked together, AE and SDRs, dialing together, prospecting together, coaching one another. To my mind, you're going to get there anyway over maybe a 12, 18, 36-month period. It's going to take you just as long doing it the other way. Right. But now, by the time they're ready to buy, you've already established trust with a dozen meaningful. different people. You know the moving parts. You understand who's on side, who's offside, what their strategy is. Yeah. And you're familiar to them. Everyone else is coming in trying to pitch products, features and functions. Right. So it, it, it just strikes me that we've got to rethink. How, how do we just rethink the whole thing if we had a blank sheet of paper and we were thinking about how we're going to adapt to this new world what would we do i would think it starts with data i mean like we were talking about before the call is that you know right now we're just making calls and calls and calls and calls and yeah. companies are just doing that and it's just not going anywhere there's no purpose behind it. so you know account-based marketing was really popular and then it kind of died off we have to go back to that I really feel like we have to go back to that type of approach. And it's all throughout the contacts within the company. It's not just the one contact. It's, you know, multi-threading, they're now calling it, right? Going after the buying group and having and building the relationship with a group of people in that company. Because turnovers at, at the prospect too, right? You're, you're contacting someone and all of a sudden six months gone, you have this amazing conversation and now they're not, not there anymore. So working each client as an account, working it as a buying group, multi-threading, getting all of the stakeholders involved, day one at the SDR level is going to have better outcomes long-term. Agreed. I think, again, the alignment with marketing is really critical because one of the big problems that I see that creates problems for SDRs and AEs is that whilst the campaign to break into the account and uh, develop these relationships is happening. Marketing is getting in touch. Sales isn't coordinated. There yeah. are different messages. You're going back to your existing customers with um, offers that are better 
than the existing customers are getting because you're marketing to them and you're not connected. And so it creates dissonance and problems. I mean, it's just madness. Why do we not slow down and think if we were the customer, what kind of experience are they looking for? What is it they want from us? And how do we create that with the least amount of effort, money or headcount? It's funny. This happened to me three times this week. Um, I like to pick up the phone other than other executives because I'm in the SDR world. So yeah. I do pick up my phone to hear what people are saying. Yeah. But it's interesting. Three calls I got from SDRs, every single one of them were uh, you know, conversations I've had with this company prior to, had some most, and they call me back and they have no idea. They don't look at the CRM. They don't understand that we've had a conversation. We understand I saw a demo three months ago. And it's like, this person has no idea what they're doing. And I've, I'm in a buying cycle. And it was three totally separate brands that did it. And I think that's part of the problem is they're either not trained or given the tools or they don't know how to use them because they're just spraying and praying. And these are big brands. I mean, these are very successful companies and that they're just still spraying and praying. And it's just how it's working. I think this is where we can use the SDR function as a competitive differentiator. Right. Because if they're properly researched, if they've got a strong hypothesis and they're mature uh, in terms of their business acumen, they understand the context in which the customer is operating, the competitive landscape, all that kind of stuff. And they're working with the AE to, to help them develop that hypothesis. When they hand over, the experience is already better because one of my partners uh, interviewed 420 CFOs. And one of the questions was, you know, what makes the difference uh, in terms of how a salesperson shows up? And they gave two out of five if you understand my company, four out of five if you understand my company and my context. And what amazing advantage if you're a VAE starting from that point. That's your point of entry as opposed to, hello, Gov, can I sell you something? Yep. I mean, I do demos all the time for from tech companies trying to show us tools and technology. And there was one from a very fast growing data company right now. I'm not going to say their name. And I got on the phone and the guy was flustered. He didn't have any pre-call research. You know, he's speaking to the CEO of the company. I I was actually not scheduled to be on the call, but I was... uh, backfilling my VP who was on PTO. And it was horrible. And he had no idea what we did. I literally asked him three times, do you know who we are, what we do, nothing, zero. And so I just think like everyone's in these Zoom meetings back to back to back doing 12 a day, thinking they're productive. Don't do 12 a day, do six a day and do 30 minutes pre-call research calls before each six. And I guarantee you'll close more than if you had 12 on the the calendar. And uh, that's how it has to be. And again, we're burning our people out. The, you know, you think about the moral impact, and I, I know a lot of people don't actually uh, think that matters, but it genuinely does. If you want highly productive, highly engaged employees, which are is important because they're the ones talking to your customers who right. generate revenue that you so dearly want, and um, it probably makes sense not to treat them like a commodity. And yeah. it probably uh, makes sense not to set them up to fail. So they need coaching. They don't need training. What they need is ongoing on-the-job coaching. They need technique. They need practice. 
so that when they are in front of the customer, what they've learned actually comes back to them and they don't revert back to what they learned first, which is exactly what we're seeing at the moment. All these highly trained AEs can't close a wet paper bag. It's funny because there's so much better tools now for coaching than there was when we were trying to do it ourselves decades ago. I mean, it's, and, but they're not being used. You know, yeah. I will throw them around like Gong is obviously a, a great company that has software and tools and training tools. And, you know, some of our SDRs are moving over to that company and have done very well there. But I can say that it's just not, it's, it's expensive, but I think it's valuable and worth it, but it's not being used. So they just buy it and they think it's great and then nothing is being used. And it, it, it's a tool that could be absolutely lethal if you're using, using it right. And no one's doing it. Well, you don't need to spend the money. The AI is out <laughs> for you to build your own effectively. It, I mean, it doesn't have to well, that's be what we did. I mean, Exactly. That's what we did. It. We had to do it ourselves until the tool was there to help us. And frankly, you don't need that tool. I'm just saying that you need to do the function itself, whether you have the tool or not. Have exactly. To do the yeah. Well, you, you, you touched on another really important point, which is the lack of maturity of management. As companies scale, what mm -hmm. tends to happen is the middle management layer gets recruited from within on yeah. the basis of individual contributors, selfish people. I whose talk job about this is all to day. be selfish. And <laughs> then you put them into a role where their job is to help other people be selfish, but for them to give. Yeah. It doesn't work. Right. It's like teachers. Like what they say about teachers. My mom's a teacher. I don't know if I should say this, but sometimes they're C students. But there could be really good teachers. You know, a, a high quality individual contributor in sales is, is not a great manager. I'm not saying it couldn't be a great manager, but that's not the qualification to become a great manager. So, you know, so I always look at it as like individual contributors don't have to be managers, but managers should be good individual contributors, right? And that's how I look at it. But you're absolutely right. Well, their runway is typically, Gabe, bad news. We fired your idiot boss. Good news. You're the idiot boss. Off you go, son. And exactly. that's the runway. These people have seven to eight revenue producers reporting to them on average. And you, you I mean, what? Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, to be an individual, a really high quality individual producer, you usually are pretty cutthroat. You really are very self-serving. You really have a big ego. You're, real, you're usually just like focused on what you need to focus on to get the job done. Now, I just laid out exactly what typical individual contributors at the top of their game are. Now, if I said all those things on a resume for a manager, would you want your manager to sound like that? The answer is no. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the, the one thing I would say is the top 4% by and large have learned vulnerability and humility and exactly. courageous enough to have the difficult conversations and uh, you know, risk being told no. And that's the big differentiator. Above average, they, they do exactly as you described. And the problem is that's been the benchmark. It's also then fed into the culture that that's how we should sell. So if you were redesigning the, um, the manager of the SDR function or even of the, the sales function from a blank sheet, Describe to me the values that matter. Well, I think empathy is super important. I think patience is super important. I think uh, a clear understanding of 
understanding the, the personality types. You know, a lot of salespeople are shark type personality types, but they have no other way to relate. And it's all fake, right? They're faking it to to get the customer to 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 you know mirror it, but they're not really a good person at you know understanding uh, other people. You have to be really good at understanding the, all the walks of life that we deal with in the world. And if you're good at those handful of things, uh, you you should be able to be on track to be a good manager. What one of the things that I learned from uh, an old client of mine, a former client of mine, she's not old who has now gotten into um, uh, coaching around deep listening, which is really interesting, yep. um, is that active listening is the death of real and deep listening because it becomes a technique. And the the buyer's brain picks up on something that is unsafe. We've yep. institutionalized making the buyer's brain trigger warnings right. that you are a danger, a threat to them. When we put them under pressure, we actually trigger disgust and contempt i mean seriously we've pl- we've put that institutionalized it in playbooks and in systems yep. these a- any system that was developed before the year 2000 before neuroscience had any idea what was going on in the brain institutionalizes that if you're in medic if you're in sandler it shouldn't be but it is because of the mindset of the leaders and the managers and the culture that they've created around this execution of selling. Yep. Our job is not to sell, it's to facilitate buying. And the subtlety is lost on most people. I love that. Facilitate buying. That's that's a great takeaway. I'm taking that one from you. <laughs> You're welcome to it. You only have to give me credit once, then then it's yours. You can start. Sounds it. good. Done. Okay. So tell me this. Looking ahead, as the market tightens. We have the arms race for technology. Uh, you bought Gong, so I have to have Chorus. You know, we've been doing yeah. that in SaaS for the last you know, five to 10 years. Real businesses that are not SaaS are looking on and thinking, this technology is all well and good, but do I really need all of it? What are the lessons that grown-ups can draw uh, from the kids playing in the sandpit with all of the technology? Because it's brilliant, don't get me wrong, but the idea that we need 23,000 players in the tech stack for sales and marketing, which is what it was in November last year, if I remember rightly, right. uh, at, at least 1,000 a month, and that was before AI kicked off. I mean, I think the market's doing the job right now for what we need to be focusing on, which is simplification. <laughs> the purging the companies, right? And I don't, I hope you're not part of it, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's just the bubble is is here. I mean, it, it, there's too many applications. There's too many. right now. It takes just for the SDR function. We counted it up the other day. It's about twelve different tools and applications to support an SDR right now on average. That's ridiculous. Mm. And, how much does uh, that cost? How much does it cost? Yeah. Per oh SDR. my god. It's about nineteen hundred dollars per seat per SDR right now for tech and data. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And what's the turnover within the typical SDR function? 45% lead within 12 months. Within 12 months. Okay. So 45% of all of the training that's spent, how many of those technologies are then superseded? Because the people who are trained in it and bought it have left and they don't realize they have that technology. So then they buy it again and pay twice for nothing. Yeah. And they're buying annual seats that 
literally six six of them are gone out of the 10 and all of a sudden you have to rebuy new seats because SaaS is you know scheduled that way and now you're double purchasing and double dipping on costs interestingly enough i did an, uh, an interview with jill robbins on what procurement are doing using ai in order to prepare for these types of conversations with salespeople. and one of the ais that i'm cro for uh, we can actually track where every cent of revenue comes through every single piece of tech and which combinations of tech and which functions of tech, which bits of data and which human beings and which uh, funnels it came through so that you can architect out the fat. And then you can go to your vendor and say, Bob, I noticed for the last three years, we've only used 72% of Salesforce. Here's a check for 73%. Happy to go to someone right. else. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I mean, you know, annual cost versus monthly cost, and they all try to sell you on the annual deal. And if from an outside perspective, it looks good, but you may not know one if that seat is going to be filled in three to six months. And secondly, you don't even know if the software is going to be effective in the next twelve, or if you're testing it out. So I always say, unless we know exactly what we want, we're not buying anything annually until we know what we want and we have that person here retained. So. That's how I do it. it. It doesn't make sense to be annual cost. There's a savings. Well, from it's a, not software as a service uh, no. if you can't do that. But they're all trying to sell one year and three year deals. So they call yeah. it. Uh, but they, it's just perpetual license repackaged for many people. Right. They don't care about the customer. Yeah. I, and I, look at the data companies right now. Are getting <laughs> back. I mean, yeah. There's three year agreements in data companies, uh, the bigger ones. Yeah. And th th those are really hurting uh, the companies right now when, when you look at what's coming out with data and, and how much less expensive it is. Well, we, we have to remember that renting, ha having something that extracts rent doesn't create, it doesn't contribute. And companies that are totally extractive of their customers end up finding it very difficult to sustain. Right. And we're seeing that, which is why they're having to go on these massive acquisition sprees. And then they end up failing to integrate at least 80% of the time. So yeah. those go horribly wrong as well. We've got to rethink. And one of the things that I'd be really curious about is how we use the SDR function in conjunction with partners so that we coordinate so that as an ecosystem, we go to market. And as an ecosystem, we serve the customer's need. Because I think yeah, the coordination there, now the technology is absolutely available to us. Why are we not clubbing together and using community approach? I think that's a great approach. Right now they're really changing the name of the SDR to an XDR, meaning that it's a crossover. So in, instead of just booking demos for you know prospects, they're also booking demos for existing customers or referral partners or strategic partners. So they're and reaching back out. And winbacks, exactly. So these campaigns for these these you know, SDR roles are are great. I mean, I, I, I we do what we call a rehash program, where we we are able to book meetings with people who've already booked meetings months from before because the company is ever evolving, ever changing. Mergers and acquisitions are happening, and what you saw today was not what you saw six months ago. And we're con and and your context changed. Yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. And your AEs won't do it because they're going after you know what's you know what what they did for me lately approach and what's low hanging fruit and what's in their pipeline to close now 
they're not they're not circling six months ago on a on a deal that never you know went through to the next step. So those those XDR roles I think are really important for what you were mentioning those strategic partnership conversations. The potential, if we think about it through the buyer's lens, technology has become a massive, burdensome level of complexity. I mean, banks in the city of London have an average of 800 to 1,000 different applications running concurrently. That is a shed load of vendors. That's an awful lot of different IP and training and with turnover and whatever. It's very, very expensive. What they don't want is 600 throats to choke. They want a handful of people who understand their business intimately, understand their strategy, and understand their people, how they work, the moving parts. So they're going to have to sell through partners, whether they like it or not. And HubSpot's data on this is that partner-assisted deals are 70% larger. Goodman's data on Winback is that if you, sorry, Ian Livingston's data on Winback is if you win a customer back, the lifetime value doubles. Wow. And you've got about an 80% probability of winning them back, even if you screwed up the last time. Right. If you go back and apologize and find out what was wrong, and even if you don't get the win back, you can learn how not to do it the next time. So therefore saving you some churn. 100%. Hundred percent. I mean, even if even in the prospecting side, I mean, how many times does an SDR or someone pick up the phone and the prospect just didn't want to have that conversation today? Yeah. And that's what you mean about the AE and the, and the pods working together. But just same conversation, just a different person calling them up a few days later changes everything and gets them on the schedule. So, yeah, I think that is that is absolutely huge. We've got to rethink from the metrics that we measure upon as well. So things like dials, meetings, demos, proposals, those are really not great indicators. Renewals, that's a really good indicator that we did a good job, the customer is happy, they're willing to pay us again, knowingly and willingly. How far we progress. So first meeting rates. Do you know seven out of eight first meetings don't result in a second meeting? Right. What a waste. I mean, you know, as an SDR business, how much effort goes in and they blow seven out of eight. Wouldn't it make sense to ask the question, how do we stop seven out of eight of those from occurring? And what is it? What are we doing? Are are we adding the wrong people at the top, the anti-ICP? We need to not attract them and we need to disqualify them at the marketing stage, not when salespeople or SDRs are talking to them. Right. I think it's a qualification problem, especially in the marketing side. I think it also does have a layer in the sales development side. I think SDRs are so focused on getting their commission on completed meetings and not on qualified completed meetings that they're just throwing mud against the wall and seeing, hoping it sticks. So I think it is definitely bleeding into marketing and sales development. But I also think it's a part of the AE function too. I think I think AEs don't know how to set up a second meeting after the first meeting. I mean, they're rushing. <laughs> they're rushed off the phone. They're trying to run to their next meeting. Oh, I got a hard stop in three minutes. All of a sudden, and then it just stops and then everything dies. And they just don't even set up a meeting after the meeting. And well, that's they, you they know, don't sales have 101. Yeah. What's that? They don't have a pre call plan. They, no. they wing it. They're winging it. And well, it turns we, out to have 22 meetings that they did this week. And only three of them are on to the next step. Like, why is that the problem? 
exactly. <laughs> that is just insane. And frankly, it's negligent. Yeah. It's negligent on the part of the seller, but it's also negligent on the part of management for not picking well, up on it. It goes back to coaching, more, right? It goes back to teaching you how to follow a sales cycle. I work with a partner and we're able to get anywhere between a 72 and 426x return on investment in six months by getting managers to become operational coaches instead yeah. of command and control managers. So they coach two minutes here, 30 seconds there, seven minutes in by the water cooler. And then the other person goes away and takes action and reports back. And when you do that, with one company, um, a billion-dollar software company, they trialed it with 32 people, uh, 30, 35 grand upfront investment, 17 and a half million pounds reported back by the managers themselves because of their change in behavior in six months. They're now rolling out to 700. I can't wait to see the outcome of that. That's game-changing, yeah. Operational coaching is, is where it's at. I mean, that's that's what you have to look for in managers. That's what you have to ensure your managers are doing. I like to just change their name to operational coaches. <laughs> yeah. And training is not about training. You train dogs. We yeah. need to practice and learn. And this mm -hmm. is the problem because the emphasis is in the wrong place. Trying to get people to complete a training program and remember it when you test them a couple of weeks later isn't the purpose of training. And that's what L&D right. do. I, I, was, I was on with the University of Lausanne on their master's program. And that was what all the L&D people were concerned about. And this is one of the top universities teaching yeah. leadership. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, our, our VPs of sales are mandated to get on the calls, you know, as a second call. And, and it pushes that sales cycle through and not in a, oh, I'm the heavy closer. It's, Let's have conversations and let's continue the process. And that edification of that other person provides the willingness for the prospect to do it. But the AE is also learning what to do on that next call. And it's evolving uh, their coaching. Well, the SDRs need to be on those meetings. And 100%. the AEs need to be making the dials alongside the SDRs and coaching them as they make their calls. Because a seller who can't prospect is impotent. And mm -hmm. this market is showing paraphrase Warren Buffett, uh, showing who went swimming when the tide went out and they were naked. They've been left with their asses bare um, yeah. and they're very exposed. I mean, the, the conversion rates, the hitting quota, you know, those numbers have plummeted to um, below 40% on an individual contributor level and 11% on a team level. Shocking. If, if you were health and safety or finance, you'd be in jail. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more obscene look you've got a golden ticket and you can go back and advise the idiot gabe age 23 who thought he was immortal infallible and uh, would live uh, you know could make it through anything what one bit of choice advice would you have given him that he'd have ignored but other people might benefit from it goes back to training and coaching i think my personal development was on check but i think i could have invested more and more into that I mean, there's so much sourcing now of information such as this podcast and so many others that allow us to really develop ourselves. And, uh, you know, I just started, my personal development grew and therefore my income started to grow. And I think I would start that earlier on 
knowing that the exponential uh, you know ness of it would be would be powerful. An hour a day of study, you can break it up into twenty minute breaks and get some help. Really brilliant idea. Contact people whose history is your future. Tiki exactly. would you be my mentor for twenty minutes a month? Your history is my future. If I ever turn up unprepared or don't do what I say I'm going to do, you can fire me, and I'll bring you the three things I've tried to fix my problem and my lessons of failure, and you can help me work out where I went wrong. When my clients have done this, out of a dozen people, five or six say yes. Now, that means they've now got this panel who are also your future employers, but they can also be your role play practice partners for when you're going to be pitching managers, because they'll tell you all the things that managers hate and that they're struggling with. And so you can headhunt your next boss that way. Absolutely. I love it. One thing I started doing a few years ago, I I just was networking without an agenda, right? Like how many of us as salespeople network, but they always network with an agenda. And I just started, you know what? I'm learning all this stuff from all these great people and I'm creating these great networks, but I'm always doing it because I want this, this, and this from them. And if you just start networking without an agenda, I do it all the time on LinkedIn. I say, hey, nice to connect. Uh, no agenda here. I'd love to you know, hop on a 20-minute Zoom to learn what you're doing and, and you can learn what I'm doing and go from there. And people say yes. High-level people say yes all the time. And I'm genuine. I get on the call. Hey, I have no agenda. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Just want to learn what you're doing and learn about the market. What you do is interesting to me. And lo and behold, six months, a year later, they're calling you up. Hey, I just left that company, but now I'm at this one and I really need your help. Okay. And it just, again, that's not our intention is to have the agenda. Always comes back to help you if that's your intention from the beginning. Go back and look at your pipeline, folks, and look at the number of customers who have come from earlier contacts. You'll, you'll typically find around 40% of your medium-term pipeline will end up converting if you nurture it and look after it and you don't have an agenda to sell. Your agenda is to serve, and on every touch, the objective is to be timely, relevant, and valuable in helping them to understand the cause and the impact of their problem and help them advance towards making the right decision for themselves, whether it ultimately involves you or not. doesn't make any difference. If you do that, what you do is you build emotional capital. You're getting into credit in the the emotional bank account. When the opportunity arises, people want to help. This week, uh, what day is it? Today, Wednesday. So I've already had three people come to me because of stuff that I have helped them with in the past. And one of them is a £10,000 assignment. It's a small touch, but it's a start. Another one I met from school, uh, year, or I knew from school from years ago, and he's been following my content for quite a while. And he came out of the woodwork. Lots of people like that. And because I'm playing a long game and I'm not in a hurry to close anyone, no one ever feels any pressure. But my favorite type of close happened two weeks ago where a client closed himself and then two weeks later upsold himself onto a higher level of service. Yeah. I mean, I that's a good close. It's the long game. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing to take away for people listening is like, you got to play the long game. And I know it's not going to maybe pay the bills today, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. Everything we just talked about is not just for the sales side, it's for the recruiting side. So if you're an operator, 
you know, I have conversations with people all the time who are planted, their flag is planted. They love what they're doing. And we have great conversations about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And then all of a sudden, the company goes out of business. There's a takeover. There's a lot of those things happening now. You're and there's people knocking on your doors and you know, okay, if I can bring this person into my company, it's going to be a game changer. It happened to me about a year ago, two years ago. But I, I was talking to a guy and nine years later, he came over as my director of sales. It was, it was pretty epic. But he contacted me. He said, hey, Gabe, I want, can we go out to dinner? I said, yeah, what's up? He's like, my company's getting acquired and they want to move all our entire office out of, this, out of the city. And he came on over. And, but that started a, a, a conversation many years prior. The longest I've had as a client came out of the woodwork, 17 years they've been following my content. Yeah. And yeah, ended up getting a CRO role. Not and bad. are they not the best? They're the best stories too. They're the, the, the ones that are the best outcome, like the ones that have been the longest ones. Usually, like we talked about with customers, the win back, they're going to stay much longer this, on the win back. It's the same concept. It's the relationship that's being built. It's the trust that's there. I, I mentioned this in the green room. I had someone contact me about listening to the podcast and he listens for two to three hours a day and he's outperformed the other seven people on his team combined for the last two months. And he closed his biggest and second biggest deal two weeks ago off the back of stuff he learned from the podcast. I've never spoken to him before. I think I might have had 15 minutes maybe sometime before, but everything was from what he's learned from the podcast. So there is great material out there. And mm -hmm. he started out as an SDR. That's awesome. I mean, just it's just the desire to want to go get it. I mean, the, the information has always been out there. Yes, it's easier to actually get physically yeah. now than it was decades ago, but it's always been there. It's just the desire of wanting to go get it. And uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to do that. Fantastic. Gabe, look, we've come to time. How can people get hold of you? LinkedIn. I'm really active there. Uh, my LinkedIn is, is Gabriel Lulo. If you actually go to gabelulo.com, it goes right to LinkedIn. If you want to talk business, my website for my company is alleyoop.io. Excellent. Gabe, thank you very much. One parting question then. If you were to advise a brand new manager and they've just taken on a team, what would you say to them in terms of creating a, an operating rhythm? I would say get on the phone themselves. You're going to learn what you need to coach and train and manage by actually doing what it is you're asking your team to do. I think a lot of uh, managers come in and just start managing and trying to teach and trying to uh, educate and instruct without truly knowing what those clients are saying to the prospect, uh, to, the, to the SDRs. You also earn the respect of your team as well. So just don't do it forever, be a, but be a player coach day one, week one. And uh, I think that'll help you immensely uh, in your journey as a manager. Excellent. Gabe Lillo, thank you. Thanks so much, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If, if you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And share with someone and tag someone who you think would benefit. Also, if you could leave a review, I'd be very grateful. Now, I've just released my new sales aptitude test. And off the back of it, if you take the test, then what I'll do is I'll give you half an hour giving you direct feedback of how you can improve in the next 30 days and what actions you can take off the back of it. So if that's something that's of interest, then the link is in the blurb. 
And in the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.